Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us on the program. I trust you have been blessed by the series that we've been teaching. I'm not going to take a lot of time uh, to uh, just uh, uh, bring you up to date because everything we have aired to date is also available to you on YouTube or iTunes. Go sign up for our podcast and you can take that uh, podcast uh, with you in your automobile or whatever when you're walking, jogging, or any of those kinds of things. And you can listen to the audio from these programs or you can go back to the YouTube channel and watch them at any time that you can. We've been teaching, I think, for something like 60 weeks on the book of Revelation. We are coming right now to the eighth chapter and you know the more I try to quickly go through this and not belabor it, the more stuff opens to me and we really feel like it's been the mind of the Lord for us to be able to at least capture on video and audio some of the things that we uh, have been sharing for years from the book of Revelation. as you can tell, we're probably sharing maybe from a, ver- from a very different viewpoint than you have heard before, and we really aren't trying to uh, be in conflict with anybody else, but all we can do is teach what we believe God said to us, and then you've got the prerogative to search it, to study it, to see uh, whether these things are so. Uh, one of the main thrusts that we have shared with you is that when John writes to this uh, Uh, John writes this book of Revelation. He writes it to seven churches that are really in Asia. This was probably the most pivotal group of people in human history because they were in this critical uh, period of time and this season when they were literally coming to the very end of an old covenant as it was literally what the writer of Corinthians said that that was fading away. It was slowly but surely but gradually fading away which would find its culmination in the destruction of the temple and the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 when he was standing at all the beautiful buildings of the temple and he said, do you see all these things? Not one stone to be left upon another. The context of that was that Jesus was talking about the temple complex and he was talking about that generation. He makes several statements. We've already went over and over and over on these statements, but several time statements. He says, Matthew 24, verse 34, uh, this generation will not pass to all these things have been fulfilled. And then the writer of the book of Revelation gets a hold of that. He says, these things are about to shortly come to pass, and they which pierced him will look upon him. And behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they which pierced him will look upon him. Uh, it had to have some relevance to the people that pierced him uh, in the first century, and especially when he says to them, behold, I come quickly. Uh, uh, and you know, in the end of the, 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 the writings of Daniel, Daniel would say, or the Spirit of the Lord would say to Daniel, seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for this is for a distant future, it's for the time of the end. And then John would write the book of Revelation, and the Spirit would say to him, don't seal this book up, for the time is at hand. And what we have laid out, and I think we've, we've, we've given you at least a fair uh, argument about the fact that it is not dealing with the end of time, but it is dealing with the time of the end. And what's so powerful about that is that uh, the time of the end is not the time of the end of a global situation, but the time of the end of an age. I believe one of the poorest translations that have thrown people off for years 
is the word translated world in many places is really the Greek word eon or age and literally uh, almost every translation but King James many times will translate the word for world as age in their translation. For instance where uh, Jesus would say in Matthew 24 what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world. It is the Greek word age or eon and uh, what he's saying there is it's not the end of a global situation, it is the end of an era or an age. And the age that was passing off the scene uh, was the age of the law and a new covenant was coming on the scene and with it everything was about to become new. It's just so powerful. Once you see this, you can't unsee it. It's just so absolutely there in the Scripture. Uh, in the last couple of segments, we dealt with the sealing of the saints in the seventh chapter, and we dealt with uh, those that came out of great tribulation. Today, I want to begin by reading in the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, because I want to try to get uh, the seven trumpets here and try to deal with what happened uh, under the sounding of the seven trumpets and show you their historic fulfillment uh, that these things literally did happen uh, to apostate Israel and to the people who had literally brought on themselves uh, uh, these curses of Deuteronomy when they said, let his blood be on us in our house. And let me just begin reading and we'll get into this a little bit as uh, uh, we uh, continue to open the Word. But Revelation the 8th chapter says, when the lamb ripped off the seventh seal, let me, I need to come back and get this in King James here. When he opened the seventh seal, uh, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar uh, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now before I get into the first trumpet and we unfold these seven trumpets, I want to tell you that first of all, uh, he is talking about everything that's about to happen from here on out is going to happen under the operation of the seventh seal. So when you start to see this thing as it moves forward, everything, seven trumpets, uh, give way to seven vials of blood, seven plagues that are poured out, but all of them are happening at the seventh seal. So uh, some of this I don't see as being so much chronological as it is like perhaps looking through maybe a kaleidoscope where you would be seeing a lot of the same pictures just from a different angle. Uh, especially if you would lay side by side on a chart the trumpets and the vials, you would see such similarities uh, that it would almost astound you. Uh, but he's sounding seven trumpets. Now, uh, you know, one of the things that I want to say about these trumpets is, uh, first of all, uh, th 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 there was, before anything happened, there was silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. And, you know, and, and when I did some research on this, uh, uh, what I began to uh, look at was that uh, in this period of silence, this is what I put in my note, I said, this, this period of silence uh, probably corresponds to the offering of the incense, which is spoken of in, in verse 3 of chapter 8 of Revelation. 
and verse 4, for that would be the length of time necessary for the priest to enter into the temple and offer incense and then to return. And you can find the reference for that at Leviticus chapter 16, verse number 13 through 14. Also, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. It's probably the same period of time in which Zechariah went in uh, to offer incense and the angel appeared to him, angel Gabriel, to announce the coming of John the Baptist that would be the forerunner to the Messiah. And at this particular time, when they would go in, it would be about a half hour uh, that it would take the priest to go in to offer these incense and to do this. And at that time, the whole multitude of the people, literally with bated breath, would withdraw from the inner court and uh, they would fall down before the Lord, spreading their hands in silent prayer as a holy hush would come upon that crowd. And uh, it was probably the most solemn period when throughout the vast temple buildings, deep silence uh, rested in worship uh, on the worship, worshiping multitudes within the sanctuary. It's and the priest laid the incense on the golden altar, and the cloud of odors rose up before the Lord, which serves as the image of heavenly things in the Scripture. And I believe that what happens is, is that this is the moment when uh, you see silence in heaven about the space of half an hour, was the time when the high priest would go in, and he would offer this incense, and there would be a cloud of smoke of glory that went up. I believe it's interesting, and I think it's powerful to note that our heavenly high priest Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the latter part of uh, chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, that says that, that, that our high priest Jesus went into the holiest of all, uh, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, he went in to appear in the presence of God for us. And, uh, and, and then he goes on to say, but unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So it was important that the high priest went into the most holy place, but it's also important that the high priest comes back out of the most holy place. And uh, there's so much here to, to cover that it's almost hard in a short segment to cover it. But let me try to break this down just a little bit. Our, he our heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, entered within the veil. Uh, for us with the sprinkling of a blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And he sprinkled his blood on that altar. But according to uh, the tradition is if that priest did not come back out of that most holy place, uh, then he would literally, then the sins of Israel was not put away. If that high priest died uh, beyond that veil, they would uh, have to drag him out of there. But if he came back out, that meant God accepted their sacrifice and that their sin had been put away. I don't believe it's an accident that when Jesus was standing before Caiaphas, who was the high priest, he looks at Caiaphas and he says to Caiaphas, and, and uh, when Caiaphas asked him, are you the son of God or not? He said, it is as you have said. And then he says, and from henceforth, this is Jesus talking to Caiaphas. He said, and from henceforth, you will see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and sitting at the right hand of power. Now, in the mind of Caiaphas, he's not simply talking about Jesus showing up on a puffy white cloud out here. In the mind of Caiaphas, Caiaphas knew that he was talking about the glory cloud that would come up off of the altar 
as a result of the incense offering and the glory cloud coming up from that mercy seat. And what Jesus was simply saying to Caiaphas is, you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of power because I am that glory cloud that will manifest over the mercy seat. But you see, if he does not come back out, then the sin was not put away by the sacrifice of himself. I, I submit to you that during the sounding of these seven trumpets, and especially by the conclusion of the seventh trumpet, which is the last trump or the sounding of the shofar, Jesus has come back out of the most holy place to put away sin and to show that not only uh, is there a salvation, uh, you know, if you read scriptures, for instance, where he talks about uh, there is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, that he wasn't talking about this time, he was talking about a salvation that was ready to be revealed in that last time or those last days of the closing days of the age of the law. It is what Jesus meant when he said, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. It is what one of the apostles meant when he said, now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Because I submit to you that his cloud coming, as we have shown you in, in other segments and programs, especially when I had Dr. John Noe on, that cloud comings was not an unusual uh, thing in the mind of the Jewish believer, that cloud comings were constantly used to describe uh, God coming in judgment upon all kinds of apostate or rebellious nations. He would always say, you know, that he makes the wind his chariot. He rides upon the clouds and the swift clouds, and uh, over and over and over it talks about a coming judgment, but it also, see, there's multiple ways of looking at this cloud coming because I believe Jesus appeared in the glory cloud above the mercy seat and that high priest is no longer simply sitting there. He has come back out to offer to us a salvation and a redemption that was in fact drawing nigh. And so these trumpets that are sounding, are uh, they're not unusual to the mind of the Jewish believer because they were the sounding of the trumpets of literally the festival or the feast of trumpets. We'll get into that a little bit more as we go forward. But this high priest not only went into the most holy place, but he has come back out to deliver to us a salvation and a redemption that is, is, has been once for all delivered to the saints. That there is, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, you, know uh, you could look back at Ephesians, for instance, and the Apostle Paul talking about the season prior to 70 AD would say things like, uh, uh, after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise which is the earnest or literally the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. But when you see uh, in 70 AD, I believe that he delivers to us a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last time and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. And uh, there's a salvation that's a, 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 a complete salvation. And I believe that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And he said, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the day of God. And I believe that he's talking about this day of the Lord as being this day of judgment that was about to come upon uh, these apostate people. They were trumpets that were sounding. Now, one of the things that I want to catch before, uh, at least on this segment, is that, uh, again, that, that period of silence was probably a period of silence when they were literally, the high priest was going in behind the veil, and then he would come back out. They would wait with braided breath to see if he would return, and that God had 
surely put away uh, their sin. I'm telling you, our, res- our redemption has been fully paid for. Uh, our salvation has been delivered to us as a uh, fullness that we can receive right now. But one of the things that really caught my attention in this was that uh, he was, there was silence in heaven for about the special, uh, half an hour. But in verse 3, it says that another angel uh, came and stood at the altar. And he had a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense came, watch this, with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And uh, seven angels had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Uh, one the things that really caught my attention as I was looking into this chapter is that if you would, if you look back into chapter six of the book of Revelation, it is there's some, there's a prayer that's going on there. Let me just see if I can find it very uh, quickly. Um, uh, under uh, uh, Revelation, cha- this is Revelation chapter six, verse nine. And when he had opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to them, every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little while, or a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I want want you to understand that they are souls under this same altar. And they're, you know, when you see uh, the golden altar of incense in the tabernacle of Moses was a piece of furniture that was used to typify the prayers and the praise of the saints as they would offer the incense, that what's happening here is that there are souls underneath of this altar, and what they're praying is they're crying, Lord, how long till you avenge us? And so I submit to you that when you get over here into the eighth chapter, and there are the prayers of the saints uh, that are being offered on this golden censer, and these saints are praying, how long till you avenge us? And so uh, their cries are coming up before God on this golden incense, and the angel takes this censer. In other words, he is finally answering the prayers all of these saints that are under the altar saying, how long till you avenge us? And he tells them in, in, in the sixth chapter of Revelation, uh, rest for a little while. There's some others that are about to be killed like you were, but then you're going to be avenged. You know, I, I can't help but think about uh, where the apostle Paul would write. And he said to them, I believe it was in the book of Thessalonians. He said, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense trouble to them who trouble with you. And he goes on to say, uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me quickly uh, see if I can grab this for you also. In Matthew, the uh, 23rd chapter of the book of St. Matthew, this is in fulfillment of what Jesus, he's prophesying a bunch of woes. And he's prophesying to these Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, and you that make clean the outside of the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the platters of the outside of the sepulchers, and you garnish the sepulchers of the, uh, of the saints. And uh, he says in this in verse number 27, this is Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you're full of dead men's bones of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. And then he tells them, fill you up in the measure of your fathers. In other words, go ahead and fill the cup of wrath completely up because you are a witness to yourself that you're the children of those who have killed the prophets and stoned them that are sent to you. And then he says to them, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell. Wherefore, behold, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them, watch this, you will kill and crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Here's a powerful verse, and I want you to see this, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew, between the temple and the altar. But look at this verse. Verily I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. I submit to you that the trumpets and the catastrophes that are about to follow with the sounding of these trumpets in the book of Revelation are not some future people, but it is dealing with the people that Jesus said would be that generation who witnessed unto themselves that they were in fact the ones who killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent to them, that upon that generation would come all those woes that he was prophesying in Matthew 23. He prophesies several woes in these trumpets as these trumpets begin to sound. I submit to you, though, they're the woes that come upon this generation because even when Jesus was about to be crucified, last but not least, the owner of the son of the vineyard comes and, and they kill the owner of the son, or they kill the son of the owner of the vineyard. And, and the scripture said, What do you think is going to happen to those wicked husbandmen? And uh, they said, When Jesus was standing before Pilate and all the judges, uh, the judges being condemned to death, they literally made this covenant agreement let his blood be on us and our children. I submit to you that the catastrophes that are about to unfold in the book of Revelation under trumpets and vials are the pouring out of those judgments and curses that they, in fact, had invoked upon themselves. And then Jesus rears back in verse number 37 and says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. For your house is left to you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. I'm telling you that upon that generation, the prayers of these saints that are under the altar, that are crying, How long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us, are the martyrs and the people from the blood of righteous Abel to blood of Zacharias, that God said all of that has heaped up 
fill up this cup then, or the measure, the cup is almost completely full because it has mounted up from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias and now ultimately the blood of Jesus and all of the martyrs who have led up to even what occurred in 70 AD were under the altar at that time awaiting the days of the vengeance of our God. Luke prophesied that these days that were coming in 70 AD, these are the days of vengeance of our God, a tribulation such as was not since the world began or would ever be again. I think it is incredible also uh, to note that, uh, that uh, you know, once again, this is happening to this people as a result of these prayers that have been prayed. All of these times, God was about to answer their prayer and say to them, it's a righteous thing with God to recompense trouble to you them that trouble you. And you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, because our testimony among you was not believed. And he's declaring that out of the book of Thessalonians. And so all of this stuff is about to break loose with the sounding of these trumpets. Yet the sounding of these trumpets were this blast of the shofar horn, the shofar, if you will, that was a symbol or a signal to them that they still had some space to repent. But if they repented not of their ungodly deeds, as you go and see the book of Revelation, it says they repented not, no matter how bad the plagues got, no matter how bad the famine got, no matter how bad things got, they repented not of their ungodly deeds, which they had ungodly committed. And so because they had invoked upon themselves the curses of Deuteronomy and that old covenant, God had to keep his end of the, uh, of the covenant bargain to send all of these judgments upon them. I'm telling you, thank God that this is not something that's out in our future. It's something that occurred to this generation. Jesus sets the time text and he says all of this stuff will happen to this generation that upon you will come the blood of all. So all of the, the, the coals under the altar are these souls crying out for revenge and for vengeance. And God says, you know, uh, give place to wrath for vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But he's doing that to people who have, uh, who have literally bound themselves under an old covenant oath and idea. Uh, we're about to run out of time and I trust that this is helping you. Listen, take a moment to call the number on the screen and, uh, and, or to go to our website. You can uh, go to our website and see where we're going to be, future dates, places we're preaching, places we're sharing. Your words of encouragement have encouraged me to go on. If you're watching us and this is blessing you, get behind what we're doing. We do need your help. It takes partnership. It takes our partners to be able to reach around the world with the gospel of the kingdom and with the gospel of grace. And I think this is helping people understand how the gospel of grace fits with some of these end time things. And uh, I believe uh, that it will help answer some questions about uh, t scriptures in the New Testament to talk about wrath, that it's not a coming wrath. It's what occurred as God kept his end of the covenant bargain. But now we are now in a new covenant, one of mercy, grace, and truth. Thank you for joining us in. Join us again next week at the same time. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.